Section thirteen of Prefaces and Prologues to Famous Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. Prefaces and Prologues to Famous Books, edited by Charles W. Eliot. Proemium, Epistle Dedicatory, Preface, and Plan of the Instauratio Magna, etc. Part Two. The Plan of the Instauratio Magna. The work is in six parts. One, the divisions of the sciences. Two, the new organon, or directions concerning the interpretation of nature. Three, the phenomena of the universe, or a natural and experimental history for the foundation of philosophy four the ladder of the intellect five the forerunners or anticipations of the new philosophy six the new philosophy or active science it being part of my design to set everything forth as far as may be plainly and perspicuously for nakedness of the mind is still as nakedness of the body once was the companion of innocence and simplicity, let me first explain the order and plan of the work. I distribute it into six parts. The first part exhibits a summary or general description of the knowledge which the human race at present possesses, for I thought it good to make some pause upon that which is received, that thereby the old may be more easily made perfect and the new more easily approached and I hold the improvement of that which we have to be as much an object as the acquisition of more. Besides which, it will make me the better listened to, for he that is ignorant, says the proverb, receives not the words of knowledge unless thou first tell him that which is in his own heart. We will therefore make a coasting voyage along the shores of the arts and sciences received, not without importing into them some useful things by the way. In laying out the divisions of the sciences, however, I take into account not only things already invented and known, but likewise things omitted which ought to be there. For there are found in the intellectual as in the terrestrial globe waste regions as well as cultivated ones. It is no wonder, therefore, if I am sometimes obliged to depart from the ordinary divisions, for in adding to the total you necessarily alter the parts and sections, and the received divisions of the sciences are fitted only to the received sum of them as it stands now. With regard to those things which I shall mark down as omitted, I intend not merely to set down a simple title or concise argument of that which is wanted, for as often as I have occasion to report anything as deficient, the nature of which is at all obscure, so that men may not perhaps easily understand what I mean or what the work is which I have in my head, I shall always, provided it be a matter of any worth, take care to subjoin either directions for the execution of such work, or else a portion of the work itself executed by myself, as a sample of the whole, thus giving assistance in every case either by work or by counsel for if it were for the sake of my reputation only, and other men's interests were not concerned in it, I would not have any man think that in such cases merely some light and vague notion has crossed my mind, 
and that the things which I desire and offer at are no better than wishes, when they have in fact things which men may certainly command if they will, and of which I have formed in my own mind a clear and detailed conception. For I do not propose merely to survey those regions in my mind, like an augur taking auspices, but to enter them like a general who means to take possession. So much for the first part of the work. Having thus coasted past the ancient arts, the next point is to equip the intellect for passing beyond. To the second part, therefore, belongs the doctrine concerning the better and more perfect use of human reason in the acquisition of things, and the true helps of the understanding. That thereby, as far as the condition of mortality and humanity allows, the intellect may be raised and exalted, and made capable of overcoming the difficulties and obscurities of nature. The art which I introduce with this view, which I call interpretation of nature, is a kind of logic, though the difference between it and the ordinary logic is great, indeed immense, for the ordinary logic professes to contrive and prepare helps and guards for the understanding, as mine does and in this one point they agree but mine differs from it in three points especially that is in the end aimed at in the order of demonstration and in the starting point of the inquiry for the end which this science of mine proposes is the invention not of arguments but of arts not of things in accordance with principles but of principles themselves not of probable reasons, but of designations and directions for works. And as the intention is different, so accordingly is the effect, the effect of the one being to overcome an opponent in argument, of the other to command nature in action. In accordance with this end is also the nature and order of the demonstrations, for in the ordinary logic almost all work is spent about the syllogism, of induction the logicians seem hardly to have taken any serious thought, but they pass it by with a slight notice, and hasten on to the formulae of disputation. I, on the contrary, reject demonstration by syllogism as acting too confusedly, and letting nature slip out of its hands. For although no one can doubt that things which agree in a middle term agree with one another, which is a proposition of mathematical certainty, yet it leaves an opening for deception which is this the syllogism consists of propositions propositions of words and words are the tokens and signs of notions now if the very notions of the mind which are as the soul of words and the basis of the whole structure be improperly and over hastily abstracted from facts vague not sufficiently definite faulty in short in many ways the whole edifice tumbles. I therefore reject the syllogism, and that not only as regards principles, for to principles the logicians themselves do not apply it, but also as regards middle propositions, which, though obtainable no doubt by the syllogism, are, when so obtained, barren of works, remote from practice, and altogether unavailable for the active department of the sciences. Although, therefore, I leave to the syllogism, and these famous and boasted modes of demonstration, 
their jurisdiction over popular arts and such as are matter of opinion in which department i leave all as it is yet in dealing with the nature of things i use induction throughout and that in the minor propositions as well as the major for i consider induction to be that form of demonstration which upholds the sense and closes with nature and comes to the very brink of operation if it does not actually deal with it hence it follows that the order of demonstration is likewise inverted for hitherto the proceeding has bent to fly at once from the sense and particulars up to the most general propositions as certain fixed poles for the argument to turn upon and from these to derive the rest by middle terms a short way no doubt but precipitate and one which shall never lead to nature though it offers an easy and ready way to disputation now my plan is to proceed regularly and gradually from one axiom to another so that the most general are not reached till the last but then when you do come to them you find them to be not empty notions but well defined and such as nature would really recognize as her first principles and such as lie at the heart and marrow of things for the greatest change i introduce is in the form itself of induction and the judgment made thereby for the induction of which the logicians speak which proceeds by simple enumeration is a puerile thing concludes at hazard is always liable to be upset by a contradictory instance takes into account only what is known and ordinary and leads to no result now what the sciences stand in need of is a form of induction which shall analyze experience and take it to pieces and by a due process of exclusion and rejection lead to an inevitable conclusion and if that ordinary mode of judgment practised by the logicians was so laborious and found exercise for such great wits how much more labour must we be prepared to bestow upon this other which is extracted not merely out of the depths of the mind but out of the very bowels of nature nor is this all for i also sink the foundations of the sciences deeper and firmer and i begin the inquiry nearer the source than men have done heretofore submitting to examination those things which the common logic takes on trust for first the logicians borrow the principles of each science from the science itself secondly they hold in reverence the first notions of the mind and lastly they receive as conclusive the immediate informations of the sense when well disposed now upon the first point i hold that true logic ought to enter the several provinces of science armed with a higher authority than belongs to the principles of those sciences themselves and ought to call those putative principles to account until they are fully established then with regard to the first notions of the intellect there is not one of the impressions taken by the intellect when left to go its own way for i hold it for suspected and in no way established until it has submitted to a new trial and a fresh judgment has been thereupon pronounced and lastly the information of the sense itself i sift and examine in many ways for certain it is that the senses deceive 
but then at the same time they supply the means of discovering their own errors only the errors are here the means of discovery are to seek the sense fails in two ways sometimes it gives no information sometimes it gives false information for first there are very many things which escape the sense even when best disposed and no way obstructed by reason either of the subtlety of the whole body or the minuteness of the parts or distance of place or slowness or else swiftness of motion or familiarity of the object or other causes and again when the sense does apprehend a thing its apprehension is not much to be relied upon for the testimony and information of the sense has reference always to man not to the universe and it is a great error to assert that the sense is the measure of things to meet these difficulties i have sought on all sides diligently and faithfully to provide helps for the sense substitutes to supply its failures rectifications to correct its errors and this i endeavour to accomplish not so much by instruments as by experiments for the subtlety of experiments is far greater than that of the sense itself even when assisted by exquisite instruments such experiments i mean as are skilfully and artificially devised for the express purpose of determining the point in question to the immediate and proper perception of the sense therefore i do not give much weight but i contrive that the office of the sense shall be only to judge of the experiment and that the experiment itself shall judge of the thing and thus i conceive that i perform the office of a true priest of the sense from which all knowledge in nature must be sought unless men mean to go mad and a not unskilful interpreter of its oracles and that while others only profess to uphold and cultivate the sense i do so in fact such then are the provisions i make for finding the genuine light of nature and kindling and bringing it to bear and they would be sufficient of themselves if the human intellect were even and like a fair sheet of paper with no writing on it but since the minds of men are strangely possessed and beset so that there is no true and even surface left to reflect the genuine rays of things it is necessary to seek a remedy for this also now the idols or phantoms by which the mind is occupied are either adventitious or innate the adventitious come into the mind from without namely either from the doctrines and sects of philosophers or from perverse rules of demonstration but the innate are inherent in the very nature of the intellect which is far more prone to error than the sense is for let men please themselves as they will in admiring and almost adoring the human mind this is certain that as an uneven mirror distorts the rays of objects according to its own figure and section so the mind when it receives impressions of objects through the sense cannot be trusted to report them truly but in forming its notions mixes up its own nature with the nature of things and as the first two kinds of idols are hard to eradicate so idols of this last kind cannot be eradicated at all all that can be done is to point them out so that this insidious action of the mind may be marked and reproved 
else as fast as old errors are destroyed new ones will spring up out of the complexion of the mind itself and so we shall have but a change of errors and not a clearance and to lay it down once and for all as a fixed and established maxim that the intellect is not qualified to judge except by means of induction an induction in its legitimate form this doctrine then of the expurgation of the intellect to qualify it for dealing with truth is comprised in three refutations the refutation of the philosophies the refutation of the demonstrations and the refutation of the natural human reason the explanation of these things and of the true relation between the nature of things and the nature of the mind is as the strewing and decoration of the bridal chamber of the mind and the universe the divine goodness assisting out of which marriage let us hope and be this the prayer of the bridal song there may spring helps to man and a line and race of inventions that may in some degree subdue and overcome the necessities and miseries of humanity this is the second part of the work but i design not only to indicate and mark out the ways but also to enter them and therefore the third part of the work embraces the phenomena of the universe that is to say experience of every kind and such a natural history as may serve for a foundation to build philosophy upon for a good method of demonstration or form of interpreting nature may keep the mind from going astray or stumbling but it is not any excellence of method that can supply it with the material of knowledge those however who aspire not to guess and divine but to discover and know who propose not to devise mimic and fabulous worlds of their own but to examine and dissect the nature of this very world itself must go to facts themselves for everything nor can the place of this labour and search and world-wide perambulation be supplied by any genius or meditation or argumentation no not if all men's wits could meet in one this therefore we must have or the business must be forever abandoned but up to this day such has been the condition of men in this matter that it is no wonder if nature will not give herself into their hands for first the information of the sense itself sometimes failing sometimes false observation careless irregular and led by chance tradition vain and fed on rumour practice slavishly bent upon its work experiment blind stupid vague and prematurely broken off lastly natural history trivial and poor all these have contributed to supply the understanding with very bad materials for philosophy and the sciences then an attempt is made to mend the matter by a preposterous subtlety and winnowing of argument but this comes too late the case being already past remedy and is far from setting the business right or setting away the errors the only hope therefore of any great increase or progress lies in a reconstruction of the sciences of this reconstruction the foundation must be laid in natural history and that of a new kind and gathered on a new principle for it is in vain that you polish the mirror if there are no images to be reflected 
and it is as necessary that the intellect should be supplied with fit matter to work upon as with safeguards to guide its working but my history differs from that in use as my logic does in many things in end and office in mass and composition in subtlety in selection also and setting forth with a view to the operations which are to follow for first the object of a natural history which i propose is not so much to delight with variety of matter or to help with present use of experiments as to give light to the discovery of causes and supply a suckling philosophy with its first food for though it be true that i am principally in pursuit of works and the active department of the sciences yet i wait for harvest time and do not attempt to mow the moss or to reap the green corn for i well know that axioms once rightly discovered will carry whole troops of works along with them and produce them not here and there one but in clusters and that unseasonable and puerile hurry to snatch by way of earnest at the first works which come within reach i utterly condemn and reject as an atalanta's apple that hinders the race such then is the office of this natural history of mine next with regard to the mass and composition of it i mean it to be a history not only of nature free and at large when she is left to her own course and does her work her own way such as that of the heavenly bodies meteors earth and sea minerals plants animals but much more of nature under constraint and vexed that is to say when by art and the hand of man she is forced out of her natural state and squeezed and moulded therefore i set down at length all experiments of the mechanical arts of the operative part of the liberal arts of the many crafts which have not yet grown into arts properly so called so far as i have been able to examine them and as they conduce to the end in view nay to say the plain truth i do in fact low and vulgar as men may think it count more upon this part both for helps and safeguards than upon the other seeing that the nature of things betrays itself more readily under the vexations of art than in its natural freedom nor do i confine the history to bodies but i have thought it my duty besides to make a separate history of such virtues as may be considered cardinal in nature i mean those original passions or desires of matter which constitute the primary elements of nature such as dense and rare hot and cold solid and fluid heavy and light and several others then again to speak of subtlety i seek out and get together a kind of experiment much subtler and simpler than those which occur accidentally for i drag into light many things which no one who was not proceeding by a regular and certain way to the discovery of causes would have thought of inquiring after being indeed in themselves of no great use which shows that they were not sought for on their own account but having just the same relation to things and works which the letters of the alphabet have to speech and words which though in themselves useless are the elements of which all discourse is made up further in the selection of the relation and experiments i conceive 
I have been a more cautious purveyor than those who have hitherto dealt with natural history, for I admit nothing but on the faith of eyes, or at least of careful and severe examination, so that nothing is exaggerated for wonder's sake, but what I state is sound and without mixture of fables or vanity. All received or current falsehoods also, which by strange negligence have been allowed for many ages to prevail and become established, I proscribe and brand by name, that the sciences may be no more troubled with them, for it has been well observed that the fables and superstitions and follies which nurses instill into children do serious injury to their minds, and the same consideration makes me anxious, having the management of the childhood, as it were, of philosophy, in its course of natural history, not to let it accustom itself in the beginning to any vanity. Moreover, whenever I come to a new experiment of any subtlety, though it be in my own opinion certain and approved, I nevertheless subjoin a clear account of the manner in which I made it, that men knowing exactly how each point was made out, may see whether there be any error connected with it and may arouse themselves to devise proofs more trustworthy and exquisite, if such can be found. And finally, I interpose everywhere admonitions and scruples and cautions, with a religious care to eject, repress, and, as it were, exorcise every kind of phantasm. Lastly, knowing how much the sight of man's mind is distracted by experience and history, and how hard it is at the first, especially for minds either tender or preoccupied, to become familiar with nature, I not infrequently subjoin observations of my own, being as the first offers inclinations, and as it were glances of history towards philosophy, both by way of an assurance to men that they will be kept forever tossing on the waves of experience, and also that when the time comes for the intellect to begin its work, it may find everything the more ready. By such a natural history, then, as I have described, I conceive that a safe and convenient approach may be made to nature, and matter supplied of good quality, and well prepared for the understanding to work upon. And now that we have surrounded the intellect with faithful helps and guards, and got together with most careful selection a regular army of divine works, it may seem that we have no more to do but to proceed to philosophy itself, and yet in a manner so difficult and doubtful there are still some things which it seems necessary to premise, partly for convenience of explanation, partly for present use. Of these, the first is to set forth examples of inquiry and invention according to my method, exhibited by anticipation in some particular subjects, choosing such subjects as are at once the most noble in themselves among those under inquiry, and most different one from another, that there may be an example in every kind. I do not speak of those examples which are joined to the several precepts and rules by way of illustration for of these I have given plenty in the second part of the work. But I mean actual types and models, by which the entire process of the mind, and the whole fabric and order of invention from the beginning to the end, in certain subjects, and those various and remarkable, should be set as it were before the eyes, 
for i remember that in the mathematics it is easy to follow the demonstration when you have a machine beside you whereas without that help all appears involved and more subtle than it really is to examples of this kind being in fact nothing more than an application of the second part in detail and at large the fourth part of the work is devoted the fifth part is for temporary use only pending the completion of the rest like interest payable from time to time until the principal be forthcoming for i do not make so blindly for the end of my journey as to neglect anything useful that may turn up by the way and therefore i include in this fifth part such rules as i have myself discovered proved or added not however according to the true rules and methods of interpretation but by the ordinary use of the understanding in inquiring and discovering for besides that i hope my speculations may in virtue of my continual conversancy with nature have a value beyond the pretensions of my wit they will serve in the meantime for wayside inns in which the mind may rest and refresh itself on its journey to more certain conclusions nevertheless i wish it to be understood in the meantime that they are conclusions by which as not being discovered and proved by the true form of interpretation i do not at all mean to bind myself nor need any one be alarmed at such suspension of judgment in one who maintains not simply that nothing can be known but only that nothing can be known except in a certain course and way and yet establishes provisionally certain degrees of assurance for use and relief until the mind shall arrive at a knowledge of causes in which it can rest for even those schools of philosophy which hold the absolute impossibility of knowing anything were not inferior to those which took upon them to pronounce but then they did not provide helps for the sense and understanding as i have done but simply took away all their authority which is quite a different thing almost the reverse the sixth part of my work to which the rest is subservient and ministrant discloses and sets forth that philosophy which by the legitimate chaste and severe course of inquiry which i have explained and provided is at length developed and established the completion however of this last part is a thing both above my strength and beyond my hopes i have made a beginning of the work a beginning as i hope not unimportant the fortune of the human race will give the issue such an issue it may be as in the present condition of things and men's minds cannot easily be conceived of or imagined for the matter at hand is no mere felicity of speculation but the real business and fortunes of the human race and all power of operation for man is but the servant and interpreter of nature what he does and what he knows is only what he has observed of nature's order in fact or in thought beyond this he knows nothing and can do nothing for the chain of causes cannot by any force be loosed or broken nor can nature be commanded except by being observed and so those twin objects human knowledge and human power do really meet in one and it is from ignorance of causes that operation fails and all depends on keeping the eye steadily fixed upon the facts of nature 
and so receiving their images simply as they are for god forbid that we should give out a dream of our own imagination for a pattern of the world rather may he graciously grant to us to write an apocalypse or true vision of the footsteps of the creator imprinted on his creatures therefore do thou o father who gavest the visible light as the first-fruits of creation and didst breathe into the face of man the intellectual light as the crown and consummation thereof guard and protect this work which coming from thy goodness returneth to thy glory thou when thou turnest to look upon the works which thy hands had made sawest that all was very good and didst rest from thy labours but man when he turned to look upon the work which his hands had made saw that all was vanity and vexation of spirit and could find no rest therein wherefore if we labour in thy works with the sweat of our brows thou wilt make us partakers of thy vision and thy sabbath humbly we pray that this mind may be steadfast in us and that through these our hands and the hands of others to whom thou shalt give the same spirit thou wilt vouchsafe to endow the human family with new mercies End of part two.